Hello, uh, today we'll be starting a new teaching on the book of James and working our way through uh, the book of James. There's five chapters and it'll take us a few sessions to get through that. We're not in any hurry, we're just going to take our time and work our way through it and see what the word has to say to us. Uh, in the New Testament, there are four men that go by the name of James. Uh, most scholars believe that the James that wrote the book of James, uh, the epistle of James, is the Lord's brother. That would be the same man that's mentioned over in Acts chapter 15 when they have what's referred to as the Jerusalem Council. So it's just always nice to know uh, who we're talking about. And this writing probably took place somewhere around uh, 47 AD, somewhere plus or minus a little bit there. So it would have been, if not the first New Testament writing, one of the very first New Testament writings. So why don't we get started here with uh, the epistle of James. Some people call them epistles, which means letter, or sometimes they just say the book of James. Either way is correct. And we'll start with chapter 1 and see where we get to. All right, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So I like how James opens up his teaching here. He comes out and states who he is, first of all. Now, all of our letters in the New Testament, they don't always come out and, and do this. They don't always tell us, and so we have to kind of surmise through the writing who they are. But James comes out and says, hey, I'm James, and uh, it makes it real easy for us to know. And he also says that he is a servant of God. And so um, I like that. He's, he's just letting people know who he is. He says, look, I'm, I'm working for God. I want you to know who I am. I'm not afraid to say who I am. And this was a little bit uh, difficult back during the time of the writing of this work because there was some persecution coming against the church. Uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin was coming against the church at this time. Uh, he talks here, and we'll get just a moment, and I'll talk about it. Uh, so he says he's a servant of God, and then he says, um, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is he serving God, and Jesus is also God, but he is also the Son of God. That's He's got a couple titles here. But he wants to make sure that he tells them that I am working for Jesus Christ because they remember that they put him to death. And they don't want the name of Jesus to be talked about and promoted. And we see that today. Uh, I saw something recently a man had on a shirt that said Jesus saves and he had gone to a mall and apparently it offended some people in the mall and they'd gone over to security and security was asking this man to leave the mall because he couldn't wear that shirt in the mall anymore. Uh, this is a terrible thing. 
People can wear shirts with all kind of profanity on it, saying all kinds of terrible things. They can say God is dead and all kinds of terrible things, but certainly they don't want to allow anyone to say that Jesus saves. It's unfortunate what's happening in the world. Sin is rampant throughout the world, but we have to stand up and we need to say who we are, who we're working for. We need, need to let people know that we love God and that Jesus Christ is the one that died for our sins and that we have given our life to him. We shouldn't be afraid to let people know. It's important for us as Christians to stand up for who we are. Then he goes on and says, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, as I said, there is some persecution coming from the Sanhedrin. We know this to be true. Um, our brother Paul that wrote 13 or 14 of the New Testament letters, he was persecuting the church on behalf of the Sanhedrin Council. And uh, he was arresting or putting some to death. And um, we see that persecution was coming against the church at this time. So there was many people and their families that were running for their life off into the known world. And James is trying his best to send a letter, get it sent out to try and find these people that are scattered to try to give them some encouragement. I think that's a good work. We should be trying to encourage people. Uh, also, we need to look for people that need encouragement. We don't even know someone needs encouragement until we've gone and talked to them a little bit. But try to be an encourager. Verse 2. He says, My brethren, that would also be our sisters, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or various temptations. So this is not what most people do. Most people don't count it joy when they feel like they're being tempted. Uh, by the enemy. But you know, there is a different way of looking at things. The enemy doesn't tempt people to sin that he already has a hold of. And uh, if, if you're already in the grasp of the enemy, why would he spend any time trying to tempt you and get you to do something wrong? You're already doing that. But those that are living for God, working for God, doing for God, They've given their life over to Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that he is tempting and trying to get to go back into sin. That's why James is saying, you know, you need to count it all joy when you fall into temptations. Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people that are being scattered because of persecution. And so uh, they're out there. They're struggling with what's going on. You know, should I come home? Should I start doing these other things? He wants to encourage them to keep going the right way. Let's see, verse number three. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith work of patience. Now, the word patience here uh, means endurance or steadfastness. It doesn't mean I think I'll just wait. Uh, in some sense, I guess it could mean that. But it, it's talking about, uh, he says, but let 
patience, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So it, what it means is it, it works endurance or steadfastness. It makes you spiritually stronger as the enemy is trying you, causing different temptations to come your way. As you, as you struggle through these things and don't yield to the sin, then you get stronger by not yielding. Have, have you ever struggled through the enemy trying to tempt you to do sin, but you just did, wouldn't give in because you knew you didn't want to do wrong? and Or maybe you have given in. And how did you feel after you gave in? Did you feel kind of dejected and thought, well, I shouldn't have done that, but I did. What happens to a lot of people after they, they struggle and they give in to sin? They feel like, well, that's it for me. I've got to give up now. The Lord won't want me ever. But that's not true. The Lord always wants us to come back to him. No matter how many times we fail, turn around and come back to the Lord. The Lord is not like us. We don't get he gets tired. I mean, <laughs> let me say this again. He does not get tired of, of us. He knows that we are human. It's not that he wants us to fail. But if we do fail, he is patient and waiting for us to come running back to him. And he will come running to us. Verse number four. But let patience or endurance have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And the perfect means, the word perfect here means completeness, wanting nothing. And that's what he says, wanting nothing. So let, let your endurance or your steadfastness work in your life until you are complete. You just keep working. Now, you know, the idea of perfection has gotten lost in today. People think, oh, I can't be perfect in the Lord. But we can be. We can be perfect in the Lord. We can continue to grow because he is coming back for a people that are perfect, living perfectly for him. He wants people that are ready, ready to go. They have, have on those clean white robes. That's what I want to have. Uh, spiritually speaking, those clean white robes. Verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to get, giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So he's saying if you lack wisdom, what kind of, I'm not talking, he's not talking about wisdom to do a math problem. He's talking about wis spiritual wisdom. Yeah, are you lacking spiritual wisdom? How to stand for the Lord? Are you struggling? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? The enemy wants to try and trick us into thinking we don't know how to stand for the Lord. He wants you to think that maybe you can commit a little bit of sin every day. But you can't do that. You might do it, but you're not supposed to. Some people, I've heard it taught that we sin a little bit every day. Well, while people may do that, they don't have to. We don't have to sin a little every day. We can live for the Lord perfectly every day. We can live above sin. We don't have to let sin take over our lives. Have you been struggling with sin in your life and falling back into sin? 
and you've just gotten tired of all this going on in your life and you think, I, I just can't make it. But I'm here to tell you and encourage you, you can make it. You can absolutely overcome this sin. Are you spending time in prayer? I know that prayer is difficult. Prayer is work. We have to know that. Prayer is work. And are you spending any time reading your Bible? Are you spending time talking to other Christian friends? Are all your friends uh, sinners or people that are out in the world? You you need the fellowship of the saints, the the Christians. You need. Have you been going to church at all? Why is it important to go to church? I know a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to go to church. Well, church is important. You know, over I think it's Hebrews ten twenty five says, not forsaking of the assembling of yourselves together, or in other words, not forsaking the going to church, because we need the fellowship of the saints. We need all that good singing, all that good teaching and preaching, and we need that visitation with each other. It builds us up and helps us stand strong. You know, we need to have a a good person in our life that is strong spiritually that we can turn to and tell them, say, I'm struggling spiritually. Can you help me? Can you help me overcome this? There are people you can find to to put in your life that can be there to help you through this. Don't try to fight by yourselves. The enemy wants us by ourselves. He wants to pull us off away from everybody else and discourage us and get us thinking that we can't make it. But he's a liar. The scripture says he is the father of liars. And he wants us to believe we can't make it, but we can stand for for the Lord every day. Not just once in a while, but we can stand for the Lord every day. Verse number six. Oh, I want to go back to five for a moment. And he says that uh, the Lord giveth wisdom to men liberally. That means he will pour out uh, spiritual wisdom on you on how to live for him. He won't leave you destitute. He wants you to know how to do this. He, As you study your word, ask the Lord. Lord, make the scripture come alive and be real to me. And as you study the word of God, he will do that. He will make it alive and real and help you understand more about the scriptures. Just spend time in the word. When I was a child, I used to think, when my dad would say, have you read the Bible? I would say to him, well, dad, I can't just read the Bible all the time. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that I was wrong. I can read the Bible quite a bit over and over again. The same things that I have read, I've found that what encouragement and that I get more out of it every time I go back over it. I just love being in the word of God. There's nothing more important in my life than the word of God. Verse number six, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So we are not supposed to be wavering. What is wavering? Well, it's kind of like this. Uh, One moment I think one thing. The very next moment I think something else. Completely different. And he compares it, James compares it to the waves of the sea. And so... 
waves roll in and then they roll out. They roll in and they roll out. So it's the same thing with one, one moment I think something, next moment I think something else. We are not supposed to be wavering. We, if, if that's the way our faith is, then we don't have strong faith. We, if one moment person might say, well, I believe in God, and then the next moment they'll say, well, I don't know if I believe in God. Well, that kind of faith is not going to do anything for you. In fact, that's not faith. That is being a wavering person. He says, for, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Back and forth. Are a person that's a wavering person is just back and forth. I believe this. No, I don't. I believe that. I believe this. I believe that. We need to study the scripture and know what we believe. If you're having trouble understanding the scripture and understanding what to believe, uh, get a hold of me and we can study the scripture together. Because the Bible isn't that hard to understand, but some of us need to have good Bible teachers. And that's why we need a good Bible-believing church that is teaching us how to live right. We need to know what is right. And that it's so important to be in a good Bible-teaching church. Verse number 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That's right. If we are a wavering person, we're not going to receive things from the Lord because our faith is weak. We all have faith. The Bible says <clears throat> the Bible says that we have a what's called a measure of faith. We're given just a, a small measure of faith. So when we start off in this world, it's so that we can turn to the Lord. We're given just a little bit of faith. Uh, the Lord compares our, uh, us to having a mustard seed of faith. Very small amount. But we don't have to stay with a small mustard seed amount of faith. We can grow and grow that faith. He says, the Lord said that you can grow your faith so much that you can look over the mountain and say, mountain be removed. Not that we're going to go around removing mountains. It's just an example. We can have that kind of faith so that when we, we see someone that is sick, do you have enough faith to go over there and pray for that person and know that that sickness is going to go away. If you saw somebody getting run over in the street, would you first have to go and pray through to the Lord and ask forgiveness of your sin before you went and prayed for them? Or could you go over to them because your faith is strong and say, I know you're hurt, but I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus and you will be okay. That's what the apostles were doing. And that's what we can do today. That kind of faith will help us. We need to have the faith that we believe God will do great and mighty things. Let's move on. Verse number eight. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This word double-minded here, it's the same word that we just looked at as wavering. It's defined as wavering or uncertain doubting or divided in interest so he's still saying the same thing just two different ways wavering and double-minded mean the same thing have you talked to a double-minded person 
they're difficult to talk to because they change their opinions on things all the time. Like the definition says, divided in interest. Have you talked to someone that they think one thing now and in another moment they've changed that opinion completely? Well, he's, the Lord says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, the Lord wants people that love him and want to serve him all the time, not that are double-minded thinking, well, I want to serve him today, but tomorrow when I get up out of bed, I don't know that I'm going to want to serve the Lord. Maybe I'm going to want to go out into the world. That, that kind of faith isn't going to get us anywhere. We have to get ourselves where we say, Lord, I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to serve you. Think about the three Hebrew boys back in um, the book of Daniel. They were told that you will bow down to this false god or you'll be thrown into the furnace. And they told the king that whatever you have to do, I'm just paraphrasing here. He said, just, they said, just whatever you have to do, but we're not going to do what you ask us to do. So if you got to throw us in the furnace, go ahead. They were not double-minded in any way. They went in the furnace. Three of them went in. And then the king looked into the fire. This is an Old Testament king, too. And he says, didn't we put three men in the fire? And he says, lo, I see four men loose and walking around. And he said, and the fourth man looks like the Son of God. You see, this man had some divine revelation. We haven't talked about divine revelation, but we will. This king has some divine revelation being shown to them, shown to him. And I'll tell you what's going on here. He went and got those three men and brought them out of the fire. And they didn't smell like smoke. They weren't bit, burned or singed or anything. They were just fine because they were not double-minded. The same thing goes for Daniel when he was thrown down in the lion's den. The, he either had to bow down to false gods or be thrown into the lion's den. Had he been double-minded, then he would have been in trouble. But he told the king, O king, just live forever. Because he didn't care how long the king lived. The God that had shut the mouth of the lions was going to keep him for as long as he needed to be in there. And, and that's exactly what happened. The, the lions never touched Daniel. But all the, the people that caused Daniel to be thrown in that that lion's den, they are thrown down in the lion's den the next day. We don't want to be people that are double-minded. We need to be people that are truly steadfast in what we believe. Study the scripture until you know, are you struggling with what you believe? Now, some people, they come about, come to parts of scripture and they don't want to believe parts of scripture because it goes against their interests. And so they want to leave off that part of Scripture. Scripture won't always make you comfortable. But if you come across something in the Bible that we're supposed to be doing, and maybe you're not doing it, or you're doing something else, if you really want to serve God, you will let go of those things you're not supposed to be doing, and you will say, Lord, I will work for you. 
I'm going to serve you with all my heart, mind, and soul. That's what the Bible is doing. It's showing us the right way to go. Let's go back to our scriptures. Verse 9 says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. The brother of low degree would be a, a humble person in society, maybe a poor person in society. Says uh, verse nine, verse ten. But the rich, in that he is made low. So, the brother of low degree, he is rejoicing that he is exalted. He's exalted by God. Now, the world might not be exalting him because he's a poor person, but God is lifting him up. Now, you don't have to be poor to make it to heaven, and you, if you are a rich person, you can go to heaven too. But it won't be by trusting in your wealth. You've got to trust in God to get you heaven. And it is difficult sometimes for rich people to get into heaven because they want to put all their trust into their wealth. And that won't work. So let's go back here. Verse 10 again. But the rich in that he is made low. So he's the rich man, in other words, is humbled by God. But he God humbles him in order to put his mind in the right place to serve you to serve God. And we, we want to have our mind in the right place to serve God. We want to have what the Bible says is a contrite and humble spirit before God. Not to think that we are important. God is the only one that is important. Uh, verse 10. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. What he's saying here doesn't take long for the heat and time to wither the flower and the grass. Doesn't take long at all, and they just pass away in a very short period of time. Well, James is saying the same thing here for the rich man. He's going to be on this earth a short period of time. His wealth is not going to last. It's going to eventually fade away. But if, if he serves God, he'll be all right. But if he's trusting in his wealth, then he's going to be in trouble. So verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So if you look here in this first section, he started off in verse number two. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. And now at the end of this first section, he says, blessed is the man or the person that endureth temptation. Now, I'm going to tell you, most people don't count themselves blessed when they are in temptation. But when we've endured through a temptation, You've endured and you haven't fallen into sin. You should rejoice because you are truly blessed of God. It says here, For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The crown of life is only mentioned one other time in the scripture. And that's over in Revelation uh, uh, chapter 2. I'm trying to think uh uh, 2 and 10 it is. Yes. Crown of life is only mentioned twice. 
But when we leave this world, when our life is over, whether we go by the grave or we go by the rapture, I want to receive that crown of life from the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day when he says, welcome now, good and faithful servant, aren't you? I want to be someone that goes to live with the Lord. But just remember, you got to endure through the temptations. Don't let temptations beat you down. They don't. Temptations don't have the power to beat us down. Satan doesn't have the power to beat us down at all. He only has the power that we give to him. We don't have to give him any power. But unfortunately, a lot of people do. They give him power by submitting to him. And I'm not going to submit to him. I'm not going to give him any power in my life. Let's move on here to verse 13. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. This is an important teaching James is putting out here. A lot of people want to say, well, why did God do this to me? Why did God uh, uh, tempt me? Why did God allow this to happen? God did not ever tempt humankind to sin. James just said that here. He does not ever tempt us to sin. If we fell into sin, that's because we were probably either tempted of Satan or one of his demons. Or, you know, we're told over in Romans chapter 1 that men or people are inventors of evil things. Sometimes we tempt ourselves. We come up with things and tempt ourselves. So sometimes it's the enemy of our souls and sometimes it is us but it is never God God never tempts us he will not tempt us because he wants us to serve him let's look at verse 14 but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed that's so uh, what lust means here uh, the lust of impulses of a man that he indulges in. It's those kind of impulses that people, they get thoughts, they get ideas of things they want to do that aren't right. Or the, the enemy comes and puts thoughts in our mind and of things that are not right. But we don't have to fall into those lusts. We can, the scripture tells us to bring all our thoughts into captivity. All our good thoughts and all our bad thoughts, we're supposed to bring into captivity then we can choose through the power of God, I want to keep these good thoughts, but I want to cast out these bad thoughts. Have you ever had thoughts come into your mind that you said to yourself, I just can't stop thinking about this, or I just can't push this thought away? Well, I'm going to tell you, the enemy wants to keep bringing thoughts back to your mind that you shouldn't have. He wants to bring temptation into to your mind, or he wants to bring fear into your mind. He wants to cause you to be thinking about anything but God. He doesn't want your mind on God. He wants your mind to be completely taken away from the things of God. So let's read 14 again. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And that makes sense. Of course, we're only going to be drawn away of our own lust. Only, only 
the things that we know that tempt us are going to tempt us. We're not going to be tempted by someone else's lust. That's for them. They're tempted by their own things. Uh, so we're tempted by our own lust, and we are enticed. In verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. This word, there's a lot of very interesting words in this first chapter of James. And uh, this word conceived, we know it is when a woman conceives, she becomes pregnant and a life starts growing in her. But that's not what this, this can mean that, but it doesn't mean that in this context. Uh, in the context of this word here, uh, conceived, it means to be a prisoner. So when lust hath uh, conceived or when lust hath brought us to be a prisoner, that hath put us in prison, when lust hath put us in prison, it bringeth forth sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that goes against the ways of God. Anything that goes against God. So when lust hath conceived or when lust hath made us its prisoner, it bringeth forth sin. And why 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 is that? What's going on here? It's made us it's lust has made us made us its prisoner. Just like those thoughts we just mentioned. That uh, you can't stop thinking about it. And pretty soon you're not only just thinking about it, but you're actually doing it. So lust will will capture your mind. It will capture your thoughts. Pornography does this to men all the time. We should never be looking at pornography because it captures the mind on things that are not healthy for us to be looking at. Things that God does not want us to be looking at. But it captures the mind. And you start off your day looking at it in the morning. And pretty soon the day is over and you're still looking at the same things. Because lust brought you into being its prisoner and has caused you to sin by looking at these terrible things and capturing your mind. Let's go on a little further. It says, And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So first, lust makes you a prisoner. Then, it brings sin because it gets you to do things. It's got your mind captured. You know, all this thing, the enemy knows the whole war that we're having out here with him is a, a war for our minds. He, it's just a war for our minds. He wants to capture our minds. And so he says, when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Well, it might bring forth physical death, depending on what you're doing. But it definitely brings forth spiritual death. And when you sin, you are separated from God. We are separated from God right then. And we we start to, we don't start to, we die spiritually. Because we are now spotted with sin. And I'll tell you, I don't want to be someone that's caught in this. I remember being a young man and being away from God. And I did not like being away from God. I knew he had called me into the ministry. And he wanted to use me. And I was trying to run from God. Because I wanted to do something else, I thought. But when I finally surrendered to him. 
Oh, it was such a wonderful day. I surrendered and said, I want to be yours, Lord. And I want you to have 100% of me. I don't want any of the world. I don't want any of it. If, if you want any of the world, talk to the Lord about it today. And he will help you get away from the world. Verse 16. James ends this little section and says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, my, my brethren, just stay away from sin. Don't fall into sin. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no veritableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, this is a, kind of an interesting little uh, little uh, phrase he's got here. And so every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, every good gift and perfect gift comes from God. He God gives us all the good gifts. I've never been given anything from God I didn't want. He knows what I want, and he knows what I need. And so, but then he goes on and cometh down from the Father of lights. And so he's, he's making, he's going to make a very interesting uh, analogy or metaphor here. He says, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, what is he trying to say here? So now he's talking about neither variables, neither shadow of turning. He's talking about the celestial bodies in space. Uh, you know, like the moon, the planet, the stars. And so what he's saying is, we are, uh, the earth is turning all the time, right? So part of the, part of the day we can see some of these celestial bodies when the light is flicking flickering on them and then when we're in the when the earth is turned to the right place we can see them but then when we turn away from them we can't see those those twinkling little lights we're seeing a different section of space and different twinkle twinkling lights because we're in a different place but he's saying that's not who God is. He says we get all these good gifts and all these perfect gifts from God. And then he says with God there is no variableness. In other words, he's always shining bright all the time. We can always look up and see him. And then he says neither is there shadow of turning. And because we, no matter where we are, no matter where the earth is turned to, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can always turn back and look and find God. We may not always be able to look up and see the Big Dipper in the sky or some certain stars up in the sky because maybe we're turned the wrong way. But I tell you right now, there is no variableness in God. God has never turned away from us. He's always right there waiting for us to turn back to him. And he wants to help us when we need him. Verse 18, of his own will. Let's read that again. Of his own will. Do we think about God as having a will? Well, he does. 
Not just you and I have a will, but God has a will. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his cre of his creature of his creatures. Let me read that again. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so God created us because he wanted to create us. He loves us. He is not turning away from us. He is the truth. All we have, if we want to know the truth, all we have to do is turn to him. And we are both to be his first fruits of his create creatures. Because we are the people that give our lives to God. Are you giving your life to God? Are you the first fruits of God? He wants you to be. He wants you to give your life to him and turn to him. He wants you serving him. Verse 19. Wherefore, I love it when we come to these wherefores. Every time you come to a wherefore or a therefore, and I'll remind you again. Anytime you come to a wherefore or therefore, you, I'll make sure you know what uh, the writer has just has said in the, the previous verses because he's referring back to that because he's expecting you what he's getting ready to say he's expecting you to know what he's already said so he says wherefore my beloved brethren because of what i just told you in other words wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath so why should we be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath? So we should be swift to hear. We should listen quickly for God speaking to us. And we should be slow to speak because we should not jump in with the answer because we don't always have the answer. In other words, we should be listening again for God to do the speaking. And slow to wrath. People get wrath here means anger. And it is too bad. People get mad and angry very quickly. And uh, you see this in the grocery stores. You see this out on the roads with road rage. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes you see it in God's people too. We It shouldn't be. But we should be slow to wrath. And he, what he says in the next verse, he says, For the wrath, or the anger of man, worketh not the righteousness of God. If we are going to go around being angry all the time with people, because someone cut us off in the grocery store, maybe someone cut us off in the parking lot, or out on the road, or we're angry at our kids, we're not giving a good Christian witness to the world, are we? We should try to be more even-tempered. Uh, remember, I want to remind us as we're going through this, this writing here that James is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. They're going through all kinds of difficulties. They're not home in their home. They're off running for their lives away from persecution. And so remember they are going through all kinds of difficulty. And so he's telling them to be slow to wrath. Be, don't get angry quickly. Well, with all the difficulties going on in their life, 
it would be easy for them to get angry quickly. When we are going through difficulties and having a difficult day, it is easy for us to let anger jump into our life. But it, it's not good for us. It's not beneficial to us. And like he says, the wrath of man or the anger of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Don't you want God's righteousness working in your life? Let's move on to verse 21. Uh, and this is an interesting version I want us to look at. There's, there's several words in here that I want us to look at. Let me read the verse first. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, he's using a lot of interesting words here. Filthiness, superfluity, naughtiness, and engrafted. I want us to look at these four words. I think there's four. And see exactly what he is meaning here. So, he starts off, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Filthiness means defilement or dishonor. Anything that would defile us as a Christian or dishonor us as a Christian. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. What is superfluity? It's an interesting word. It means abundance, or it also means the wickedness remaining over in a Christian from his state prior to conversion. So when we get saved... We ask forgiveness of sins. And uh, the Lord, he says he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That doesn't mean all these things have just gone away. What we need to do in our life at this point is we need to be sanctified. Sanctification is the next step in the process of growing with God. Sanctification does away with the desire to sin. I know he doesn't mention the word sanctification here, but that's what he's actually talking about. When he says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, the only way to do it is not through uh, justification, which is salvation, but it is through sanctification. We're going to talk about more of this in the future, about sanctification, what, how to how this happens in our life, and what it does for us. So superfluity, when we, get, when we get saved, some of that old ways of our life, some of the old things that we were doing, want to keep creeping back into our life because we haven't completely let go of those things. We've asked forgiveness of our sins, but those old ways keep trying to creep back into our life. That old wickedness tries to keep coming back because the enemy doesn't want to let go of us. When we asked forgiveness of our sins, that's when the war began. The enemy didn't like us asking forgiveness of sins. I want to, I want to say something too about that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It says, whosoever believeth in him. If, if you have not asked forgiveness of sins, I encourage you to do that today. And when you do it, when you ask for forgiveness of your sins, 
I encourage you, because this is vitally important according to John 3, 16. I want you to believe that the Lord has forgiven you of your sins because he has done it. If you read over in, in Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5, you will see that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And and um, I can't remember the rest of the verse. What's wrong with me today? So I want you to believe that he has forgiven you because the Lord wants to forgive you of your sins. His son came and died on a cross for our sins so that we could be saved. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness and believe. In other words, have faith that he did forgive us and he has forgiven you at that point. Believe it. Now, that at that point, remember, just because you ask forgiveness of sins, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted to do wrong. The enemy's going to try and bring that old wickedness back into your life. So don't let that happen. So let's read here again in verse 21. He says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, what is naughtiness? We might tell our children that they're naughty, but that's not what we're meaning according to this word here. The word naughtiness means evil, trouble, depravity, and it also means wickedness that is not ashamed to break laws. Let me read that to you again. Naughtiness means evil, trouble, depravity, and wickedness that is not ashamed to break laws. So he's saying, James says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now that, that's some pretty serious words. He wants you to lay those things apart. See, these people, they're struggling. They're running for their lives. And maybe you're struggling with serving God today too. Maybe you're struggling with, with filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, things I've been talking about today. Well, you don't have to keep, keep uh, struggling. And know that you can stand strong for the Lord, that you can live a victorious Christian life. You don't have to fall into sin. Now, temptation is not sin. It's just temptation. But you can turn to the Lord, and he will help you get rid of these things in your life. He wants to help you get rid of this temptation. You have to turn to him. And the enemy doesn't want you to turn to him. But he will flee from you when you start seeking God. And it's not, it's not a simple thing. You have to really pray and ask God for help, and believe that he is going to help you. But let's keep going. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And then he says, and receive with meekness. Can you be meek before the Lord? Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. What is the engrafted word? When you got saved, he put the word into our hearts. It means the inborn or implanted by nature. He engrafted it into us and made it a part of us. You 
when you get saved, you want the things of God. You might be struggling with the things of God. But that doesn't mean you don't want the things of God. And don't give up the things of God. Don't let the enemy steal these things away from you. He wants you. The Lord wants you with him. He wants, he wants to help you. And he will help you. Let's move down to verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Uh, so it's one thing to go to church on Sundays and hear the preacher talk about what we're supposed to be doing. And it is another thing to put actions to what we heard. Are you actively trying to work for the Lord and tell other people about, about God? Or are you just someone that wants to hear the word and say, well, I'll let somebody else do it. Look what he said again. Um, verse 22, but be ye doers. This is written as a command. It's not, it's not a suggestion. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if, if you're not doing the word and you're just hearing, he says, you are deceiving your own selves. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. A glass here means a mirror. He says in 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. You see, when we start doing the things of God and not just hearing the things of God, it becomes a part of us. It, when a man looks into a mirror and sees, him, sees himself and then walks away, it doesn't take very long for him to just forget what he looks like, actually. Do you ever forget what you look like? And that's why people often look back at themselves in a mirror or in a window glass. They want to see what they look like because they've forgotten what they look like. But it's the same thing. If if you are working for God, you won't forget the things of God quickly because you are doing those things. We, we need to be doers of the word. And so he says in 25 again, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. What is the perfect law of liberty? Well, that's Jesus Christ. He is the perfect law of liberty. I'll tell you, when we come to Jesus and we are set at liberty from our sins, when we are in sin, we are chained to sin. People wake up in the morning with a hangover and they are chained to that hangover. They wake up with somebody else in their bed. They don't even know who they are. All kinds of things are happening. You're doing all kinds of terrible things, and you are chained to sin. But when you come to the Lord, you are set free of all these things. Some people want to say, oh, you poor Christians, you don't get to do anything. No, no, that's not the way it is. It's the way it is, I get to go around every day not with a hangover, not knowing 
all the different things I'm going to be doing. I know that I'm going to be doing the things that God wants me to be doing and living the way he wants me to be living. And it is satisfying. And I've been living this way a long time. And I would not want to turn my back and go back any other way. Let's keep going here. Verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. What does the word religion mean in this context here? It means fearing or worshiping God. Let's read it that way. If any man among you seem to be religious or a fear or a worshiper of God and bridleth or does not control his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion, or this man's fearing of God, is in vain. Vain means empty. If you are, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians today, but they want to have a sharp tongue. Or maybe there's someone that take the, takes the Lord's name in vain. And they want to use they're, they want to say, because I'm a Christian, I can do what I want. I'm at liberty. We're not at liberty to go out and commit sin. We are at liberty to live according to how God wants us to live. Don't you want to live according to the way he wants you to live so that you can live forever with him in heaven? He wants us to be come and live with him forever. So he says, if any man among you seem to be a God-fearer, and a God worshiper, and doesn't bridle his tongue, but he de but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is vain, it's empty, because he truly has not got the things of God in his heart, because the scripture tells us, I'm trying to think of where the scripture is, but it tells us that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. And, uh, We've got to get the tongue under control. We shouldn't be speaking terrible things. The scripture also tells us that from the same fountain, I'm going to paraphrase, from the same fountain, you cannot get sweet and bitter water. So you can't get sweet words and bitter words out of the same mouth. They've got to be words God wants to hear or they are just Nothing. They are vain. Let's read 27, our last one today. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What is James trying to say? So, uh, he's, remember the word religion here means fearing or worshiping God. So, pure worship or fear of God and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless or, in other words, to be busy doing the word is what he's trying to say. He's saying, are you busy doing the word or are you just a hearer of the word? And then he ends up, to keep himself unspotted from the world means to don't let sin back into your life and that's what he's been talking about i hope you have a good rest of your day